Sentinels of Freedom is a national nonprofit organization that supports severely wounded post 9-11 veterans complete their higher education with its Bridge for Education scholarships. Veterans receive comprehensive personalized support, financial assistance, financial planning, and mentoring to achieve success in their post-military careers. We treat this as an investment, not a charity. What they'll bring to communities and the economy across our nation in their after-service careers is an invaluable fact and our return on investment. Our donors can take great pride in the fact that they are helping these veterans who served our nation honorably and sacrificed so much to reach their objective of self-sufficient lives. Now, here's Mike Conklin, the founder, chairman, and CEO of Sentinels of Freedom Scholarship Foundation. Welcome to Veterans Never Stop Serving, and good day to all of our listeners nationwide. We're privileged to have you listen in today as we highlight another of our post-9-11 wounded and injured veterans who is in our program from we call Sentinels of Freedom, Bridge for Education. Our mission in these podcasts is to give these veterans an opportunity to tell their stories of selfless service in our nation's military, their injuries, post-injury rehabilitation, transition home, onto higher education or trade schools, onto successful careers. Sentinels of Freedom is proud to report we've helped almost 700 of these wounded and injured veterans with our Bridge for Education program. Additionally, we've helped build seven student veterans resource centers on college campuses in three states that support 2,500 veterans a year. Today, we're honored to have Marine Corps Adam McCann as our special guest. He is retired from the Marine Corps medically. Adam, you got a great story, and I'm looking forward to hearing a bit about it and your progress. Uh, but boy, you've been on an incredible journey. With that said, let's talk about bringing us up to speed on what you're doing now, what your future plans are, and a little bit about who you are. That would be great. I think our listeners would love to hear that. And uh, yeah, so uh, first off, Mike, I just wanted to thank you and thank the entire organization, Sentinels of Freedom, for having me what your organization does to support uh, those that have served and unfortunately have gone through what we, some of us have gone through right. is truly inspiring. And I am internally grateful for your, what your entire, entire organization has done to help support myself and my fellow veterans. Thank so you. Thank I, just, you. I just wanted to start and I know there's a, a whole team behind you. So I'm not just thanking you. I'm thanking your entire team. I also would like to thank all the, uh, the sponsors and the donors that help support Sentinels of Freedom because without their support, we would not, I would not be able to go through your programs. So also thank you to the sponsors and the donors. Thank you. Uh, thank you. And it is McCann. A lot of times people say McCain, people will get it mixed up with John McCain. So I've gotten pretty used to uh, people mispronouncing my last name, but it actually is McCann. And also another correction, I wish I was medically retired. I was medically severanced. I've actually been fighting for since 2006 to have a characterization upgrade. So I actually was severanced out, not retired out. So I'm not eligible for any retirement benefits, which I've been fighting for over 16 years now. Okay. FYI, let's talk about, have you found an attorney to help you with the, with that process? Yeah, that's, yeah, I've looked into it. Unfortunately, most attorneys want some form of retainer fee, which are in the thousands and thousands yeah. of dollars. 
Well, we have a group of attorneys out of Washington, D.C. that specialize in veterans, supporting veterans, and they're pro bono. They're free. So we gotta, we've got to get you hooked up with them ASAP. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, that's uh, easy to do. And, of course, they aren't in Colorado, but they have tentacles everywhere, and they've helped a ton of guys in your situation. Actually, our very first Sentinel went through the same thing you are, and that is he was medically separated after he was run over by an Abrams tank. And he never should have been medically separated. He should have been medically retired. And he fought for 18 years, 15 years to get an upgrade and then fought again for it. So it's possible, but we got to jump on this early. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, even going the attorney route, it's not even guaranteed that to get it changed. Where if I did give the, so the one attorney said his retainer fee was $20,000 to where if I gave him $20,000, there's not even a guarantee that I would get retired. Well, you know, your injury, I mean, you were wounded. Shrapnel in the legs and tendons were cut places in, in the other places. He received a Purple Heart, so it's absolutely insane. So let's work. I promise you, we will work on this and kind of get this thing rectified. Yep. And that's kind of what the little things we yeah. do here. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll kind of, I grew up a normal childhood after I was in my junior of high school on networking communications technologies class when 9-11 happened. Actually, my, I'm actually first generation military. So after 9-11 happened and I told my dad, I was, you know, what, what I wanted to do. It was quite the shock to him because my dad is, like I'd said, I'm first generation military. So I, as soon as 9-11 happened, I, enjoy, I enlisted in the Pooley program for the Marine Corps. And basically right after I graduated high school, I shipped off to Paris Island, did my boot camp at Paris Island, South Carolina. I was specialized in heavy machine guns. I was a machine gunner. So I went to Camp Geyer, which is right outside of Lejeune for infantry school. And this was the third year of the war. So I was then sent to 29 Palms, California for CACs, which was the Marine Corps' pre-combat redeployment. And then straight overseas, we were doing a lot of uh, coordinate knocks and coordinate searches, looking for bombs, weapon caches, and all that fun stuff. My sniper had actually taken Arabic courses at WVU. So a lot of times my team were the main effort, a lot of the missions we were doing. So we didn't need to yeah. rely on an Iraqi interpreter. April 24th, 2005, um, intelligence had given us several houses they wanted us to search. One of them was a bomb-making facility. They didn't know exactly which one. They just, they knew it was one of the ten houses. It was a fairly large mission. We had two companies, Marines. We had air support. We had tanks. And uh, ended up being the last house we went into. We found what we were looking for. We found a whole bunch of AK-47s, which is no big deal. We found C4 explosives tubes and pipes, artillery shells, you name it, we found it. As we're wrapping up, we come out of the house and we get in our fire team wedge. And for those that aren't familiar with a fire team wedge is, it's a diamond shaped formation. And as you probably know, the insurgents, bite, they would never fight us directly. It was all indirect fire. We really got used to the, the whistling sound of incoming bombs and incoming mortars, but we never knew where they were being launched from. But we come out of that house and we get our fire team wedge and here's the whistling sounds. And the next thing I know, I'm unconscious. So the insurgents shot the bombs at us and they were lucky enough that they all landed in the middle of my formation and ended up taking my whole fire team out. 
Like I said, I was knocked out unconscious. I come back to my team leader was at our vehicle and I come back to him screaming my name, Adam, let's go, let's go. And as a lot of other veterans that have been in combat zones, that's the adrenaline rush. So I didn't feel anything at the time and I stood up and I collapsed and then I did a, a surveillance and I realized I'm completely soaked and covered in blood. And I was up long enough to where my team leader saw, saw the blood and he ran back into the killer radius of the explosions and dragged me out, got me loaded up in the vehicle and we took off. Yeah. And then were you immediately evacuated to a cache and then to Landstuhl? It was a process. So they got me out of the city. They injected a vial of morphine into each leg to help with the pain. At this point, I'm thanking God that I am, I know I'm alive. I know I'm going to survive at this point. No, I'm still in full, full body armor and everything. So I don't know the extent of my injuries. I don't know what's going on. I just know I'm alive and I'm the only one in the vehicle. So I'm thinking I'm the only one that was injured. So another blessing. So we get out of the city and there's a Chinook helicopter waiting for me. They load me in the Chinook and my, there was the rest of my fire team because the explosions were going in the middle of my formation. They ended up having to take them the opposite way in other vehicles. So we were medevac, we were injured in the city of hit Iraq. We were medevac from hit to Takatum to Baghdad to Balad. Balad to Lanschel, Lanschel to Andrews Air Force Base, and then finally from Andrews, finally back to Lejeune. So altogether, it was seven medevacs. I was the most severely wounded on my team. I was considered, I think, like an urgent surgical medevac. So once, you know, each stop, they would basically pull shrapnel out of me and stabilize me and then move me on to the next medevac. Once I got, once I finally got back to Lejeune, I was, ended up having shrapnel in the right side of my neck here, my left Achilles tendon was cut two places and my right tibialis anterior was completely severed. And this was before the, the Marine Corps Wounded Warrior Regiment was set up. So they kind of... I remember them very well. I went down and met their commander at that time. And we've worked very closely with them over the years. I think probably, and I'm going to say this right up front, I think the Marine Corps Wounded Warrior Regiment is the best out of all the other branches as, as far as tracking, as supporting their wounded and injured. They really get it right. And so we're very proud of that Marine Corps group and that and out of Quantico, I think, aren't they? Headquarters is out of Quantico, yeah. correct. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. That's where I'm, I'm in. All right. So now skipping forward, you're through your rehab, you're headed home. What were your feelings about what were your anxieties about going home? I, I was still so young. I didn't have the Wounded Warrior Regiment. So I was basically told by the Marine Corps that I was damaged goods and I can no longer perform my duties of an infantry Marine anymore. So I didn't really have the proper discharge process. I was, I, one day I was in Iraq and the next day I'm back home out of the Marine Corps because of my injuries. So I had to, and there was no support folks for the wound warrior I was just, now I'm completely on my own. So I really had to learn how to, to compensate for my injuries from the start, basically. Uh, and it was, it's been a lot easier with my physical injuries. I know I have lower leg injuries. My left Achilles tendon was cut to places. My right tibialis anterior was severed. 
So I knew what my physical injuries were. I knew how to work out and compensate. I need to strengthen the upper leg muscles, the quads, the hamstrings, the glutes. But I was not prepared for the anxiety, the post-traumatic stress, the mental aspects that would come from it. And that whole process, I'm still dealing with it today and it's 16 years later, but I am in such a better part of my life than I was before because I've now I've learned how to deal and compensate with the mental injuries. But it took me over 10 years to learn how to do that. But was therapy helpful to you? There's some point here where you walked toward the light and said, I need help. And was it readily available or you had to seek it out probably and maybe try yes. a couple of different avenues, but eventually you found somebody that, yeah, that so, you could um, talk to. I actually, I believe I was one of the first, if not the first wounded, ill and injured veteran from the Northeastern Ohio area, but I've had nothing but excellent care and treatment by my VA. And like what you're just saying, like for me, talk therapy has never done much. And it was almost like trial and error with medications and treatment. And I was basically labeled, I'm labeled treatment and medication resistant. I remember there was point on some of the medications. I was basically a complete comatose. I couldn't talk. I was basically a zombie. I feel like I was almost in a vegetative state and I had to learn how to almost cut myself off from some of those medications that, but you know, it was like a trial and error. And I've learned that, especially in the mental health world, you know, something may work for you, but it's not, it may not work for me. Right. Every, everybody's got a thumbprint and, but I think that I, what I really admired is you didn't give up. You just no. kept pushing and t- trying different things and you were successful at it. And now you're in the bat- uh, bachelor of arts program for criminal justice and you're going to get a master's in criminal justice. So you've got through that gauntlet of time and I know it wasn't easy, but I'm very proud of you because you didn't give up. Thank you, and, sir. I appreciate that. And that's a sign of great character. You're the kind of people or veteran that we like to invest in it. And we tell our donors, this isn't a charity, it's an investment because mm-hmm. the return is watching you guys become successful at some point. And we also know that in your lifetime, you're going to do good things in your community. And so the investment is a far cry from really the value of what you're going to do with your family and your your community. So that's the beautiful thing about this. Tell me a little bit about why you, you chose this degree line in criminal and justice, because every one of you that we have in this program has a different track, right. a different interest. Some who come out just don't know what they want to do. We say, okay, let's just get your first two years <laughs> done. It's like standing out in front of a Walmart or a Home Depot. You're in the parking lot. You know that on one of those aisles, you're going to find something that interests you uh, or something you're looking for, but you got to get through the door. And that means walking forward. And so it's okay if you don't know what you want to do. And a lot of guys don't. And, but you had a a certain design. Did you have 
somebody in that line of business that was kind of a no, kind of this whole process almost ties back to what I was going through and dealing with mentally as well. I feel like so it ended up taking me 12 years to get my associate's degree when I I think I first started school and I was, you know, I, I was still learning how to deal with my mental health struggles. I'm a huge sports fan. I have, I've been a huge sports fan since I was a little kid. I, I have Cleveland Brown season tickets. So my initial goal, I was like, I want to work for the NFL. I want to work in the NFL. I want to work for my hometown, Cleveland Browns. And so, so my first, my first attempt at school was like, I'm going to go for sports management. And that's perfect route to get in the NFL. Right. So I started going to school and I start, that's when I really started to notice my initial struggles with my depression. And, and I was never used to failure. I succeeded at everything I did, even going in my youth. And now here I am starting to struggle. And next thing I know, I get academically dismissed. So, which then sent me into more of a depression. So it took me a while to get out of it and get back into the fight, if you will. I'm like, well, in my head, I was like, well, maybe sports management working in the NFL wasn't for me. Like I'm, I'm pretty tech savvy. Let's, let's switch my major and go for, you know, IT computer technology of sorts. So I went back second time and same thing. I'm still struggling. I'm still dealing with my mental health issues and I get academically dismissed from college a second time. And I really focused on what do I have to do to get better mentally because I get better mentally. That's going to help me out academically as well. Uh, So I, it took me a while to figure out it's okay to ask for help, but I was still having a big issue with accepting help. Right. So once I learned how to ask for help and accept help, I, I went back to college, the college I was attending and I explained my situation. I was like, Hey, I'm a disabled veteran, yada, yada, yada. And they're like, Hey, let's get you enrolled in the accessibility disability office. We can get you extended testing time. We can get you other accommodations, whatever you need. And I, then at this point, I think my GPA was down in the one I was, it was so low. I couldn't even use like my GI bill or anything. I couldn't use a GI bill. I couldn't use a Pell Grant or anything. Uh, so my dad was like, Hey, I believe in you. I'm going to help you out. So my dad fronted the cost for my third time and at this point, I was in a lot better state mentally. I was, I'm, you know, how I am now. So I was, I went back to my youth. I was like, what did I like to, what was my childhood dream before, before the whole Marine Corps thing? I was like, I always, as a little kid, I always wanted to be an FBI special agent. And that was before I knew there was other special agents and other agencies. Right. So I was like, you know what? Let's switch it up to criminal justice. It's been an interest of mine since I was a little kid. Let's go for it. So I switched it up. The college I got my, I ended up, you know, it was crazy. I go from being academically dismissed twice to that. And I, I'm st- I have to, part of my read statement was I had to now retake all these classes that I had previously failed. So I start t- retaking all these classes and I'm now making the dean's list. And I ended up making the dean's list almost every semester of throughout my associates 
And now I'm passing all these classes that I had previously failed. So now my GPA is rising and I ended up graduating with my associates with a th- almost a 3.5. It was like 3.4 and some change. And so I ended up graduating my associates in police science and digital forensics for law enforcement. So I did a, a university partnership program with Youngstown State University for their criminal justice program. I'm set to graduate with my bachelor's in criminal justice in two months. So I think it's seems Yeah, congratulations. Thank I think, you, sir. I, I just want to say to your family, your parents, your dad, they believed in you. You, you were at a point where you needed to start believing in yourself. Mm-hmm. But that family belief in you was very strong, and that surely helped you across the oh, the line. 100%. I, if it wasn't for my dad's continuation of support and believing in me, I wouldn't be where I am today. So I'm two more months, and I currently have a cumulative GPA in my for my bachelor's program in 4.0. Wow. So I was I was accepted into Youngstown State University's grad school for their criminal justice program. I'm still waiting to see if the, the BA's voc rehab program is going to pay for it. So I'm still in a waiting pattern, if you will. Yeah, you know, that's one of the problems. I've met several of the secretaries of the VA in their offices, personally, one-on-one in Washington, D.C. They always ask me, they say, we're up here at the top of the ivory tower. We go places, we cut ribbons, we attend ceremonies, this, that, and the other. But we really never get to get down on the ground for an extended period of time. You do. What do you see? Where can we do better mm-hmm. in what I tell them is we've never had really big problems with the VA and our Sentinels because we advocate for them. We walk in, we don't carry a big stick and try to hit them over the head. We ask them for professional courtesy, but I always tell them the one area that you really need to in- increase and improve is the voc rehab uh, rehabilitation. And so we constantly press that. But as the VA is the largest medical system in the world, and they move at the speed of an elephant, they're very slow to change. So, but I think our friends in DC, the attorneys can help you on that also. And of course we will too. Communication is key for success in any business, in family life, anything. And so we need to hear these things from you that don't hesitate to call us for help on this and we'll jump in both feet. In your bio, you mentioned that you have a good relationship with a former President Bush and his program, Mountain Biking, and his his portraits that he does, Portraits of Courage. So again, that's got to be a great opportunity to talk to him and go down there a couple every couple of years and mountain bike with him. Have yeah, no, President and Mrs. Bush are, I can't say enough great things about them. As President Bush being my former commander-in-chief and now a, a personal friend of mine, I, I'm not just saying that. Like, he's truly cares about those that served underneath him. And Mrs. Bush is one of the nicest ladies I have ever met. She truly cares about the spouses, spouses and the loved ones. That still to this day, that is their focus is. And I, I just... He, I, he, he seems like he has a, the burden on his back of... The real, realizing the reality of he's the guy that sent us to war and that's yeah. got a way on him. And I think that what he's doing uh, in civilian life now as a mm-hmm. former president 
is not something that's just a, a soundbite. He actually no. gets involved, and I love to see that. It's unique amongst other presidents, and that's the kind of guy he is. I've never met him. I hope to meet him one of these days and thank him, but I've watched that progress of his program, and it's really been great. Yeah, no, I agree, and you touched on it. He had to make some of the most, I couldn't even imagine some of the decisions he had to make, especially when it came to sending sending us to war and everything that comes with that. Yeah. And I think the, I think you also touched on it. I think the, the general public has seen who he is as a, as a human being post-presidency, you know, that he truly, him and Mrs. Bush, they truly do care. And they still, to this day, they're still giving back to the military and the veteran community. And I think people now see that, like that he is, and Mrs. Bush are amazing human beings. Yeah, I'm very proud of him and Mrs. Bush for doing what they do. All right, so we're we talked about the belief, and when we get your basically your resume sent to us, and we start talking with you, we get to a point where we say, "I believe in this veteran, and let's help him." And you are one of those guys, one of those veterans. Of course, we have women veterans also. Mm -hmm. And it's it makes us really proud to watch your progress and how well you're doing. And I know it's not easy. It's not an easy journey, but you're getting to the point where in a couple of years, you'll have your master's and you'll be highly employable in the field that you want to go into. And that's, so it doesn't stop with us. And the next thing, you know, when we get down close is, Let's start talking to some of our people in the FBI and the state police and Homeland Security about getting you in front of them, internship or what I call a walkabout, just mm -hmm. bringing you in the office, showing you what they do, seeing if there's an interest, and then getting some applications put in because we want to get you employed as soon as we can after you graduate. And maybe an internship in your last year. Those things are helpful if you can do it. And it mm -hmm. might be so buried in studies you can't. But all those things are what we like to tee up for you. So, I, Adam, I just I can't thank you enough for coming on today. It's it inspires me. Probably the most beautiful thing and inspiring thing of being the chairman of this. I get to be the face of this, the radio face. But it's running a foundation. Isn't as easy as people think. We got to go out. And the hardest part is raising funds. But I think what brings us a lot of joy and inspires us to keep pushing hard on our objectives and goals is talking with you. Get We get let from you guys and gals that say, we just got into college. We just got our BA. We just got our master's. We just got our first job. We just got married. We just had our first child. And so those communications last, I hope, a lifetime with all you Sentinels. And I also know that when you come across a veteran that might need a little talking to and a little inspiration, You'll do it. Oh, yeah. 100%. You've been there, done that. So I want to thank you for all of that and your ongoing advocation for military and veterans. We're all proud of you <laughs> and your accomplishments. And I, I honestly can't wait to see when we talk again through these things, another recording in maybe a year or two sure. as to see where you've yeah. gotten from there. You've done a lot in your lifetime, that's for sure. So we hope. You enjoyed today's podcast, and we'll return next week to hear more of our series, Veterans Never Stop Serving. Please share our podcast with your network. Thank you for your support of Sentinels of Freedom and the veterans we serve. Your support helps our nation meet its responsibilities to these veterans. 
who have served our, in our military and sacrificed much by doing so. They have certainly earned a place at our nation's table of opportunity and abundance. So Adam, thank you again. I just, you inspire me and I'm sure you'll inspire all of our listeners. 